You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter Outchul. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco for episode 269. And before we go any further, Peter Outchul will be with us as soon as he can. He is having some technical Issues, which hopefully he will address very, very soon. I want to give out thanks to Raymond Gay, our producer, our media outlets, Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place, and Jacqueline Sylvia, our website designer, for helping to make In Perspective of a very quality-like program and to make it available to the general public. Thank you, folks, for what you do. I also want to give a couple of shout-outs today to two faithful listeners, Dennis Pulselli of Massachusetts and Elizabeth Sammons. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to listen to In Perspective. Today we have with us Chris Peterson. He is president and CEO of a company called Penny Forward. I had not heard of that program before until I was introduced to Chris. But it sounds as though Penny Forward offers a lot of services for people who are blind and visually impaired. And frankly, I'm quite impressed with what Penny Forward has to offer. But I don't want to steal Chris's thunder any further. So, Chris, first of all, welcome to In Perspective. Glad to have you with us. Bob, thanks for having me. Give us a brief background of what Penny Forward is all about. Penny Forward is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to help blind people navigate the complicated landscape of personal finance through education, mentoring, and mutual support. Essentially, we want to help you to become more financially healthy. We're doing that right now by offering online courses uh, using a membership model. We also have weekly members only group chats where you can meet with other members to, uh, practice what you're learning and, uh, get, get more, uh, get in a little deeper. And we also offer one to one career and financial coaching. And, uh, we were founded in 2019, uh, 2020, uh, during the pandemic. The story behind that is, is that, uh, in 2020, I was thinking of making a career change. I've been a software developer for my entire life and I have started to get tired of that. And I learned over the years of managing my own money, um, that I like to talk about it with other people. I like to teach people about things and explain things to people. And I love it when I'm able to help someone be successful with something. And so I thought I might want to become a financial planner. And, uh, I started to look into that as a career path and I found out that we were having a baby and making a career change and having a baby didn't seem like two completely compatible things. So, uh, the company that I was interviewing with to become a financial planner uh, is a company called Thrivent Financial just happened to reach out to me separately through LinkedIn and said, we're looking for a 
software developer in Minneapolis where I live and would you happen to be interested? So I responded and I uh, explained to the recruiter that, uh, as a matter of fact, I was actually interviewing with Thrivent to become a financial planner and, and you know, how my uh, life circumstances had just changed it unexpectedly and uh, that, yes, I was very interested. And uh, needless to say, I went through the uh, interview process and got hired. And I think that one of the reasons that I got hired was because I was so interested in working for the company and because of that sort of unique story about, Hey, I, you know, I've actually been uh, thinking about becoming a financial planner. So at the same time, uh, the pandemic was just in its infancy. In fact, I worked for Thrivent for about nine months before everything went into lockdown. And uh, I was wanting to, to use my time at Thrivent as a way to learn to become a financial planner. But suddenly I was isolated. I was by myself and not able to interact with as many people in the office at Thrivent as I wanted to. And uh, so I decided to take what I knew and turn it into a website with a blog and uh, and then later a podcast. And that blog and podcast started to grow and I started to talk to more blind people about what Penny Forward should ultimately be. And it became pretty clear that people felt that it would be a really good nonprofit organization. Um, and uh, so I decided to found one. Uh, I sent out emails to anyone that I could think of that had said, Hey, Penny Forward is a great idea. You should do this. And I said, I'm, I'm trying to start a nonprofit organization. I'm trying to, uh, build a board of directors here. Would you be interested in, in helping or would you know anyone who would be interested in helping? And I got, uh, some yeses out of that enough to, to pull together about five or six people. And, uh, in September, we officially incorporated as a nonprofit in the state of Minnesota. And as of January of this year, we've received our 501c3 federal tax exempt status, which means know that all if, about what that is. Yeah. So if the listeners don't, that means that if you make a donation to us, that donation is tax exempt. You can deduct it on your taxes. So, uh, since then, we have uh, launched a uh, an online learning system through our website, which is pennyforward.com. We've released a couple of uh, online courses, and we have another one that's on the way and is expected to be released sometime in late August. And uh, we started to hold our members-only group chats and, and really offer one-to-one coaching in earnest. Uh, all of that is available to you for $9 a month or $99 a year, depending on how you want to pay for it. We want to make it um, very affordable to the blind community because we feel that it's very important. And while we are small, we're growing really fast. And the reception that we've gotten from people has been just amazing. Just for the record, Chris, are you a blind person? Yes, I'm totally blind and I've been totally blind since birth. Okay. I want to touch on something that you referenced in the bio you sent me a while back in regards to Penny Forward and what you do for it. The unemployment rate of the blind, and I remember it being 70% as well, 
back in the 80s when I joined one of the consumer organizations. That was one of the first things that I found out, that the unemployment rate was 70%. Now, that's a very high figure, as we all know. But the thing that really gets to me, Chris, is I'm hearing even today that not only is it still 70%, but it may have gone up to 75 or 80. What is happening with advocacy for employment? So I want to tackle that question in two parts because that 70% statistic is quite controversial, as you may know. Uh, some people feel that it isn't high enough, as you just said, and some people feel that it's too high and that maybe there are more blind people that are employed than we think there are. So here's what I know, and some of this is based on research from various sources that have have been pulled together by the American Foundation for the Blind over the last few years. The traditional way that unemployment is measured when somebody says the unemployment rate in the United States is 3.5%, which, by the way, is something that was reported just today. What they are really saying is, is that of, out of all of the people who are participating in the labor force, in other words, out of all of the people who are looking, there are 3% of those people who aren't working yet. I'm glad you clarified that, Chris, because that unemployment rate is deceiving. Yeah. None of the people who are not receiving unemployment benefits count in that statistic. So in other words, say I take nine people out to dinner. There are 10 of us. Yep. Five of us are working. Five of us are not working. But four of the five that are not working are off the rolls. They're going to tell you that the unemployment rate is something like 16.6666% when it's really 50%. Yes. Deceiving. Yeah. So here's what that means in, in, um, in terms of just the general public. Um, the, in the general public, and we're talking about people who are of working age, so about age 16 to 64, about 70 to 75% of those, and I, I, it's a little wishy-washy because the statistic changes from year to year, but it generally stays within that range. So about 70 to 75% of those people are participating in the labor force. The other 25 to 30% are people that are not participating in the labor force for some reason or other. Okay, so when we say that the unemployment rate is 3.5%, what we are really saying is that 3.5% of the 70 or 75% of people that are trying to work uh, or successfully working are are not working right now. Problem with that. And by the way, I understand what you're saying, but here's the problem with that. The average person who listens to the reports may not understand that. They might think, oh my God, 97 out of every 100 people in this country of working age has a job? Really? Yep. Yep. It's, uh, it's a problematic statistic. Um, and I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to justify it or not justify it. I, I, I want to, I want to try and make sure that as many of the listeners here understand where it's coming from as possible, because uh, now let's talk about that statistic with regards to the blind community. Uh, according to AFB, in the blind community, about 
65 to 75% of blind people are not participating in the workforce. So that means that about 30 to 35% of blind people are working or trying to work right now. And the unemployment rate in that 30 to 35% is two to three times higher. So it might be 15%, um, as opposed to 3.5%, or it might be 10% as opposed to 3.5%. So who came up with the 70% figure? Um, I don't know where it originally started. Uh, there's, there's some research that uh, has been cited from the 1970s that some people say is, uh, is the genesis of that. Um, but, uh, you know, even, um, like if you look at statistics published by AFB or NFB, the way they basically explain it is, is that if you look at the, the, the set of blind people that are actually trying to participate in the labor force right now, um, or report trying to, in other words, they, they are being counted as, as either looking for work or as working, um, then, the unemployment rate is still pretty high. It's maybe 15%. Um, if you add that 15% to the 65 to 70% of people that are not participating in the labor force, and we'll talk about what not participating means in a second, then you get roughly 70%. Um, and so let's talk about what not participating in the labor force means. Um, as you said, Bob, one of the ways you can be counted as participating in the labor force is by collecting unemployment benefits. Um, well, if you're a blind person and you never have been employed, you're not entitled to unemployment benefits, so you're not collecting them, so you're not counted, whether you ac- are actually looking for work or not. Um, if you are... Um, if you have been unemployed for a long time, this happens to blind people a, a fair amount. Uh, let's say you had a job and you lost it for some reason, whether that was your fault or, or not. Um, statistically, you are likely to be out of work longer and you might find yourself back on Social Security benefits. And if you're on those benefits, you are not counted as participating in the labor force. So... What I want people to understand is, is that it's, it's not necessarily true that 65 or 70% of blind people don't want to work because this is a conclusion that a lot of people draw. And I don't like this because I think it makes blind people look bad and I feel better about us than this. What it means is that 65 to 70% of us are not being counted as being participants in the labor force because of our circumstances. We actually don't know uh, how many of those people are looking for jobs actively now and not finding them or have given up or maybe haven't even started looking for work. I wish some of these advocacy groups who discuss this topic inform us as well as you are. Because we don't hear these details when we're told, oh, the unemployment rate is 70%. That's terrible. Blind people should be working, blah, blah, blah. We don't hear this explanation as much as we should. I agree. And I will 
freely admit that I am guilty of trotting out the 70% unemployment statistic. It's a convenient statistic. If you're a nonprofit organization that is trying to raise money, uh, it's a very convenient and a very simple and a very shocking statistic that helps us to find funding. And it's not entirely inaccurate. It's just, it's just not telling the whole story. And the whole story is, um, or at least as much of it as I know is that there's a lot of blind people who either have tried to find jobs and, and have not been successful or are trying to find jobs and have not yet been successful that aren't counted in the unemployment figures. So, um, we, it, it would be, it would be inaccurate to say the unemployment rate in the blind community is 15%. And if we said that, it would still be way too high. But it's also probably inaccurate to say that it's 70%. Um, what yeah. I like to think, and this is, this is just my opinion is I, I like to think that it's hard to work as a blind person for a lot of different reasons. And I like to think that a lot of us are working very hard at trying to work. Some of us maybe have a better idea of how to go about that than others and um, maybe have better breaks than others. Um, but I believe that there are a lot of us that want to work either part-time or full-time. A- and even more so, a lot of us want to just be actively contributing members of society that are looked at as as normal people. As neighbors, as friends, as potential, you know, uh, business partners, uh, relationship partners, whatever. We, we just want to be looked at like everybody else, right? I agree. But, but it would seem to me, and I. Hey, uh, Peter. I'm, welcome yeah. back. Okay, Thank Peter, you. go ahead. Yeah. So, but it would seem to me, uh, Chris, just, uh, I, I want to, uh, move uh, on to your story, but it would seem to me, rather than using that 70% figure, which has been, uh, dysfunctional statistics since I started thinking about this back in the nineties, just to say what you just said in your, in your promotional material for those of us working on the employment issue, that the unemployment rate among blind people is two to three times higher than the, you know, than everybody else. I mean, that to me strikes me as a, a much more accurate statistic. Um, and, and still makes, you know, and make, gets the point across. Yeah. It, it yeah. seems to me that, that, that that's, that's the, uh, you know, because I find that 70% figure completely unhelpful. It's inaccurate. Uh, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fly. And so that's, that's what I tell people when I, when I, when I have these conversations. Um, so for whatever it's worth, I just think, I wish that nonprofits would just be more, more, more honest with, with, with their statistics. You well, know, rather, rather than saying 70%, just saying the unemployment rate is two to three times higher, uh, among blind people than among sighted people. And you know, I respect. I respect your opinion and uh, and I will say that uh you know the the number is higher than 2 to 3 times higher than the general public. It's right I, right I, now I, yeah, right I now it's that. probably if we're looking at the at the at the statistics I just tried out it's probably more like 5 times higher than the general public. But the truth is is that we don't really have good accurate numbers. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. and it's very convenient. I'm not going to say that it's right. But it's very convenient to trot out that that statistic to to do a lot of things. And, and one of the things as a nonprofit or, or as, as any organization really is you're trying to persuade people to act. 
Well, it certainly sends the message across that yeah. we have problems finding work. That's for sure. Yep. Right. But I, I guess my point is I think the two to three times is probably more accurate than 70%. I, I get what you're saying, Chris, that it, it might be a lot higher than that. But, uh, I mean, percent, uh, you know, might be four to five times, but what I generally see in the statistics is two to three times. And that's what I try to, when I mm-hmm. have these conversations, I say two to three times and just let it go with that. That's, that's still a shocking statistic, right? Yeah. It, but I think it's more accurate than 70%. Anyway, that, that's my rant on that particular uh, subject. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so Chris, talk more a little about what Penny Forward does. I mean, uh, if I were to, uh, Let's let's talk about your podcast for starters. What what kind of interviews do you do on your on your podcast? So the Penny Forward podcast is about blind people building bright futures one penny at a time. And honestly, there's a lot about it that's like a lot of other podcasts, and there's some things about it that are that is that are different. So one of the things that we do is we interview blind people who are successful or working hard to be successful in lots of different ways. We've interviewed people who are working in fairly traditional jobs. We have interviewed people who are working in very non-traditional jobs, like uh, George Wurzel, who's a, a blind woodworker and was the star of a a Subaru commercial a few years ago that was, um, you know, many of us probably remember. Um we also cover financial literacy related topics during tax season. We had a, a CPA on and we talked about uh, the fundamentals of taxes. So we could explain that we've had people on from the national disability Institute talking about uh, some of the advocacy they're doing um, uh, with, uh, with uh, able accounts, uh, which is a special tax advantaged savings account for people with disabilities that, that, uh, is applicable to blind people. Um, and going forward, what we've found is that the, the interest in some of those financial episodes is pretty high. So we're, we're kind of leaning into that a little more. Um, and, uh, you'll be seeing more financial, financially related episodes coming up. In fact, um, we're going to be recording one. Next weekend with, uh, Kane Brolin, who is a certified financial planner. He's totally blind, um, and has been a certified financial planner for 20 years. And we're going to be talking about, uh, uh, values based investing, which is essentially investing in, in companies that, uh, uh, meet your core values for things like environmentally uh, conscious, uh, companies or, um, sustainability or, uh, government types of things. Um, and, uh, you know, because, because Kane is somebody that serves on our board, we'll be talking with him a lot more about a lot of other investing and financial planning relating related, uh, concepts in the future. Um, as well as we've got, uh, some episodes coming up with, uh, NDI again, uh, they've got a great program called the financial resilience center, um, where they offer a lot of online financial education, um, and uh we'll be interviewing them to learn more about how they do that and and uh how that might be able to help blind people uh so it's it it started out as being i i always thought of it as kind of the gateway drug to financial literacy 
Um, I wanted to do a lot of interesting stories about blind people just to kind of attract attention to us. And now I'm, I, I'm starting to, uh, uh, along with my co-producer, Liz Botner, uh, starting to pivot it more to, uh, a more financial podcast. So I'm interested in this whole financial literacy thing. Uh, you know, whenever I hear this conversation about this topic, you know, it's, there's a lot of hand wringing about how we as a society are not especially financially financially literate. We don't know much mm-hmm. about not we don't know enough about finances, about how to save money, how to spend money, all that stuff that involves, uh, you know, uh, finance. Yep. Uh, yep. Are there special challenges that blind folks face when trying to, you know, improve our financial literacy? Uh, yes and no. Um, for the most part, the things that we need to know as blind people to be financially healthy, and I'm not a big fan of financial literacy as a, as a term. I, I like better, uh, financial wellness or financial health, but a lot of people understand financial literacy. So you'll find me using it kind of interchangeably with some of those other terms. Um, a lot of the things that blind people need to know are the exact same things that sighted people need to know. You shouldn't spend as much as you, as you get. You should put some money away for a rainy day in savings. Uh, if you use credit cards, you should use them wisely and sparingly so that you develop a good reputation with lenders so that if you need to use credit, uh, at some point in the future, you can do that without being charged through the nose. Um, and, uh, investing your money over long periods of time is, is going to help you to grow wealth and, and put you in a better position for times when you're not able to work, whether that means that you're retired or, or, uh, simply just having trouble finding a job. Um, but because so many of us are on some flavor of social security benefits and because there's a fairly decent portion of us that have other underlying medical issues, some of them related to blindness and, and some of them not. Um, some of the, uh, the, the types of things that we might be concerned about with regards to benefits are things that the general public aren't going to be as concerned about. And then there's just the topic of accessibility. Um, if you've ever tried to take any online learning types of, uh, classes, uh, you will find that many of them are entirely inaccessible and, uh, some of them are partially inaccessible and, and there are very few that are completely accessible. Even so, through schools for the blind like Hadley? I've never dealt with Hadley like that, but I know that they're very important. Uh, schools for the blind like Hadley, I, I would hope have got this down by now. Hadley, by the way, is not doing so much, uh, in the way of, of, uh, correspondence courses anymore. They're, they're doing a lot more, uh, online webinars and, and, uh, podcasts and things like that that aren't so interactive. So Chris, um, you sparked my interest on one thing you said a couple of minutes ago. And, and Peter, I'll get back to you shortly, but I want to ask Chris this question because I hear this all the time. You mentioned something very important about blind people, most of them in their income situations. Yet you see a lot of blind people with iPhones, with all of the sophisticated technology that they are entitled to have. Don't get me wrong. But as we all know on this program right now, 
a lot of the adaptive technology for blind people is very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. What do you tell blind people in your financial literacy service to make it easier for them to manage what little income they have and use the adaptive technology that many agencies for the blind encourage them to purchase themselves? That's a really good question. Um, so one of the first things that I tell them is, is, um, that there isn't a one size fits all answer to, to everything. And you really have control over what you do. Um, it's good to get help from state agencies or from, uh, private training agencies or, or organizations like the NFB training centers and such, um, and get their advice. And, and yet, um, we have to look at whether we're going to spend money on what we want or what we need. If we can afford it. If we can afford it. Ideally, I would like us to all be in the position where we can have everything we want. And one of the things that I've learned over the course of, of managing my finances, um, is that as I've, as I've sacrificed things for today so that I could put money into savings and invest that money. It's been easier and easier over time for me to have the things I want because I have that, that money set aside that I can use in, in lots of different ways. Um, so I, I don't, um, I don't think that you should just go out and buy the latest and greatest piece of assistive technology just because a state agency says that you should have it or because, uh, because it will help you. Well, but let me give you an of... example. I'll mm-hmm. give you an example. Sorry to interrupt you, Chris. Okay. Everybody wants us to have Google glasses because they help us with mobility, but do you know how much they cost? The people who encourage us to buy these products need to also tell us what they cost. And I've noticed in a lot of press releases, the, the cost is never mentioned. Yeah, some of those products are several thousand dollars. Right. And, um, and there are much, much simpler ways to accomplish the same thing. For example, uh, I remember when Ira first came out, they had some very expensive and I bought them and I tried them very expensive, uh, wearable glasses that, um, had a camera mounted on them. Right. Um, now, I use Ira so little that I can afford the $29 a month introductory plan. And, um, and, and I just hold my phone in my hand and I've gotten good at holding my camera steady. And, and, you know, I've used that to navigate through airports and, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of un- other unfamiliar settings. And it actually works just as well as the glasses ever did. In fact, the glasses were kind of a pain in the butt at the time. This may sound corny, Chris, at risk of sounding corny, but it's true. You know what I use? A white cane. I do too. Because if mm-hmm. I'm in an unfamiliar territory and I have a white cane, what I do is what any sighted person would do. Mm-hmm. Ask directions. Yep. Excuse me, sir. Where is the bathroom? Excuse yep. me, sir. Where is the lunch counter? Excuse yep. me. Sir. That's all you do. And it, and it only costs the cost of a white cane once. And you can buy a white cane for, for $20. Right. It, it's, it, it's a very good point. So I don't really want to see you spend money you don't have on technology that has limited usefulness. Um, having said that, 
Um, there are potentially times when investing in a piece of technology, whether it's assistive or not, might be, might be useful to you, but you're going to have to make that decision yourself. As, a, as an example, when I went to college, um, this was in the late nineties and laptop computers were, you know, starting to come down in price, but they were still around $3,000. Um, but I believed that I needed something to take notes with and to be able to do my homework on. I was pretty well convinced that a mainstream computer was going to be as good at that as, as a braille note or something that was going to be much more expensive. So I made an agreement with my rehab counselor at the time. Look, I'm going to buy my own laptop. And what I want from you is to help me buy things that I wouldn't be able to buy as a normal college student or that I wouldn't have to buy as a normal college student, like a copy of JAWS. My counselor appreciated that. And uh, I ended up uh, co-signing with my parents for a credit card to pay $3,000 for a laptop. And then I worked really hard to pay that off as quick as I could um, so that I could use it for school. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the type of person that says you should never go into debt for anything, but there's gotta be a really good reason. And then if there is a really good reason, you gotta work really hard to make sure that you have that under tight control. Um, because you can, you know, I, I was pretty, pretty lucky that I was able to pay off my, uh, my laptop with, uh, with the, my first credit card that I co-signed on with my parents. But if I had just not done that, my parents would have been on the hook for the bills. And I wouldn't want to do that to them. That's not, you know, they're my parents. So they would have gladly helped me out. I'm sure. But is that being a good person? No. It's, it's Chris, not. Can we go back to a comment you made that I found interesting? You said, I don't really like the term financial literacy. I like the term financial health. Talk about how you distinguish those two uh, concepts. So financial literacy sort of implies that you don't know what you're doing and that you need to know what you're doing. Um, you know, when we talk about literacy just by itself, it implies that you don't know how to read or that you can't read. So, um, Financial health to me is a, is a different concept in, in entirely. Um, financial health is having the resources to have what you want. And when we start out as young people, we aren't particularly financially healthy or unhealthy because we don't have any money. Um, so we shouldn't have a lot of money that we need to spend on a lot of things. Um, so we also shouldn't have a lot of emergencies that are costing us money, right? But as we get older and we take on more responsibilities, um, we also take on more expenses and, uh, there are more types of emergencies that can come up. And so financial health is basically having money set aside to, to be able to weather those hard times. When they happen, because they will, they happen to everybody from time to time, and that's okay, as long as you have a plan to be able to deal with them. And part of that plan is having an emergency fund in place, so some money set aside to be able to pay for what you need to be able to pay for, for maybe three months worth of of expenses, or maybe six, depending on 
on how your, your financial situation, uh, or, you know, your, your personal situation is. Uh, but it's also having a good credit reputation. Um, essentially your credit score is a number that's summarizing your credit reputation with the banks. If you have a low credit score, it means the banks don't trust you to lend you money if you need it. If you have a high credit score, it means the banks trust you a lot and they're going to be willing to lend you money. They'll be able to, they'll be much more willing to lend you more money. And at lower interest rates, if you need to borrow money in case of an emergency and some types of an emergencies like medical emergencies might require you to borrow money and then pay it back later. So you really want to have established that, that healthy high level of trust with those lenders so that it's easier to pay that money back. But you also want to have established that emergency savings so that hopefully you don't have to borrow money. Or if you do, you don't have to borrow as much because you've got some cushion there already. That's really what financial health is. You know, it's funny you you define it that way. And that makes sense because it seems to me that there is a sort of a, a gap between knowing what we need to do, right? Knowing everything you said, I think most of us have heard over our lifetimes, right? You know, don't spend as much as don't spend too much money. You know, take your credit, your, your credit score seriously. All that stuff is really important and good advice. And yet we all don't do it very well sometimes mm-hmm. for whatever reason. There are lots of reasons why we all don't do it very well. And some of it has, it's, it's less, less to do with not knowing what we should do, but not knowing, not having the, skills or not having the drive or the grit to actually do it. And that strikes me as part of this conversation, right? Uh, you know, sort of transferring that we, we know what we should do this to, okay, how do we actually do it? Or how can we, how oh, yeah. can we influence ourselves and each other to actually do it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, does it make sense to you what I'm saying to you? First of all. Yes, it does. There are, there are certainly those of us who know what we should do and aren't doing what we know we should do. There are also, though, plenty of people who honestly have no idea what a credit a credit score is for or what kinds of behaviors are going to make it go up or down. So we're trying to tackle both of those kinds of situations. Okay, that's fair enough. Bob? We we have about 20 minutes left in our program. You're listening to In Perspective with our guest, Chris Peterson from Penny Forward. I'm Bob Branco, and Peter Alchil is my co-host. It is time now for our participants to ask questions of our guests. So, Ray, do you know if there are any hands raised at this moment? Uh, Deanna, I believe you're first. Deanna, welcome. Hi. There you um, are. I think... One of the things that people don't understand is you don't have to have a lot of money to start being money smart. Um, one of the things that my husband and I did when we first got married was we took all the money we were given at our wedding. Okay. You know, five bucks from Uncle Joe or whatever. And we put it into the bank. And then we shopped for something we wanted that we needed for our, our first home. We were, <laughs> we were eating off of a card table and we didn't have any living room furniture, but that was okay because I sewed a bunch of big floor pillows and my father-in-law gave me a big insulation wire spool 
that we used as a coffee table. We just stuck wheels under it. You know, we managed, but we decided, okay, we need a washing machine. So we looked at what we had, and we had enough to buy one outright. But we knew that that wasn't the smartest way to do it because if we took out um, the loan to buy it um, from our bank and we had the money to cover the cost, then we could easily make the payments and we could double up on the payments and start building our credit score because you have to have a history to have credit. And so we did the same thing when we bought our first car, our first home. You know, we saved up a lot of money. But one of the funny things, too, is if you have too much credit debt, then you're not a good risk for loans. So the other thing you do is um, we pulled out a bunch of our retirement money when we needed to buy a town, a, a home in town, and we were still carrying a mortgage on a farm out in the country where our daughter and grandkids were living. Um, and so we had this money. We pulled it out, and we went to the bank and – they said, well, you've got too much credit card debt. So use that money to pay the credit card debt down. Put this much down as your down payment and you'll get the loan. You know, so there's, the, there's some logistics to this that if you have to figure them out or talk to people that can give you good advice, then you can build your credit score and you don't have to be a billionaire to do it. Chris. Yeah. Thanks, Deanna. We've, we've talked before and Deanna mm-hmm. has, has great, great advice, great stories to tell. Um, she's a neat lady and, uh, I really appreciate you being here. Um, I entirely agree. And, and one of the things that we do is, is, uh, we'll remind people if they, if somebody comes to ask me for advice about should I borrow money for something? One of the first things I'll say is, I'll tell you what I think you should do now, but I also want you to go and take our class that tells you how to use credit wisely. And then we'll talk about what the class says you should do so that you understand why I'm telling you that, you know, this decision is okay or this decision is not okay because I don't, I'm happy to to help you decide over and over again for the rest of your life. But I really want to teach you how to make the decision yourself in a way that's, that's wise and is going to put you in a position where you're going to be able to, um, to, to, uh, borrow or not have to borrow as much as you get older. But if you do have to borrow, it, it just makes it so much easier and, and cheaper. Um, and that's really what, what Penny Forward is about is, is trying to teach people how to fish, if you will. Thank you, Deanna. Mm-hmm. Well, thank uh, you. Uh, okay. Uh, Ray. Anyone else, Ray? Next up is Sharon. Sharon. Hi. Um, thank you very much for this, Chris. Uh, I have two kind of separate comments. Uh, I'm one of the fortunate people who have had a full-time career, and I'm now semi-retired. I'm working 18 hours a week. And what I notice um, with regard to keeping work is that, uh, oddly enough, I feel more on the edge and on the margin now technology-wise than I ever have in that we're so dependent on it that if things break, they can break very badly. And if I were to lose my job right now as a result of 
the technology changing, I, I would be okay, but I know that's not the case for everyone. Um, the other comment I wanted to make is that I really enjoy a podcast, uh, called Marketplace, um, by, with Kai Rizdahl. And, um, that is, um, just a great general financial podcast. Not, not at all to replace what you do on Penny Forward. And I'm going to subscribe to it, but I just really enjoy it because it, it, gives you a general sense of the economy. So I just wanted to recommend it to, to listeners. It's on National Public Radio, and you can get it as a podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Sharon. Um, Marketplace is a great podcast, and there's lots of wonderful financial podcasts that have nothing to do with blindness, and they're all, and they're all good, and they're all going to teach you things. And you may find that you like some over others because of the way they present information. Um, and frankly, there's a lot of blind people who have done very well financially. There's, there's people, uh, who have been very successful investors for long periods of time and, and have figured that out themselves. And, and, uh, I respect those people and I, uh, and I want to learn from them and I want to find out what they know so that we can teach some other people or, or or maybe more more accurately persuade people to follow in their their footsteps. Um and regarding your comment about technology, uh the American Foundation for the Blind did a study recently on uh on people who are working in blind and one of the things that they found in their study was that uh there is a a pretty high level of inaccessible technology in the workplace. And a, a lot of blind people are, are keeping their jobs by um, working around those inaccessible technologies yep. by getting help from their coworkers or sometimes by bringing home uh, work home with them and, and having a sighted spouse or family member help them with things. And I'm, I'm one of these people. I've had my sighted wife, you know, go and click the button that just won't click with jaws, um, so that I can get through this one thing. Um, to a certain extent, I feel like we shouldn't be expected to be technology whizzes just to work and, and, uh, and that asking for help is okay because no work is done independently by one person. Right. Everybody works on a team and, and we just may need different flavors of help than everybody else on the team. But on the other hand, but you know, Chris, I think, society, wait a minute, Chris, let, him, let him finish. Let him finish. I think society. <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, um, <laughs> it, it is, it is really sad that, um, that we still in 2022, and this hasn't gotten really materially better over the last 25 years that I've been in the working world. Um, you know, there, there still are those buttons that we just can't click or those screens that we can't read. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you talk to, you talk to people, uh, that are really smart people with top college degrees that have no idea that blind people use computers or hold down jobs oh. or anything. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, I just had to have him finish, Bob. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank That's you. all right. No, no. What I was going to say, Chris, I think society overdoes it sometimes with this technology aspect. Everybody's encouraged to go online to do anything. And I think that's a little overdone. Many people today still don't have the, the technology in their own homes to, 
to gain access to what society wants us to gain access to. I won't bank online. I just won't because I don't want my private information in the cloud. I won't shop online. I won't bank online. And I know I can. I just, I'm afraid to do it. Ray. Next up is Mo. Actually, wait, uh, Calandra's next and then, uh, Mo. Calandra. Calandra. Um, good afternoon. I wanted to ask you about those online courses. Um, do you have to have a computer to take them or can you just take them on phone? If you have a smartphone, they work fine on a, on a, something like an iPhone. Is that what, is that what you mean? I don't have a computer. Right. Um, are you able, do you have an iPhone or something like that? Oh, no, I don't have anything like that. Okay. Uh, no, unfortunately, we don't have anything right now that you can take over the, over the regular phone. Um, that is something that we are aware of that, that people need, and we are looking into how we would go about doing that. Okay. Go ahead, Calandra. Um, that's good. Um, what else were you going to say? What I was going to say, uh, Chris, this is Peter, is that this is a real challenge, uh, for, for, uh, folks, you know, doing what you're doing because there's a lot of, uh, blind folks like everybody or like other people who just don't have any technology at all for whatever reason. Uh, and so a, a lot of the, the information that you are offering, which is, I'm sure great information, people can't access. And, uh, I, you know, how you, how, how you build that bridge, I don't know. But I know it's a problem. It is a problem, and uh, it's a problem that that I'm aware of, that we are aware of, and we're looking at ways to get our information into the hands of more people. Uh, Calandra had an interesting idea that I I don't think we had thought of before of of uh, providing some sort of a telephone interface to our information, and I'm going to take that and and think on it and figure out if there's a way we can do that. We've been looking into ways that we might offer things on, uh, say, NLS cartridges or, um, you know, through through uh, the National Library Service, for example. Uh, we received some grant funding from Wells Fargo to develop a curriculum, and part of that funding lets us explore some of those ideas of how to offer uh, offer the courses in, in different ways. Thank you, Calandra, and thank you for that Chris, answer. Chris, I can Chris. help you with that. Chris, I can help you with that off the air. I belong to a lot of free conference lines, and um, there's a lot of ways to work around this technology craze. A lot Wonderful. of ways to do it. Wonderful. Ray, I think you said Mo was next. Mo, Anybody next else, up? Ray? Uh, yes, there's a few people. Mo, you're up next. Hi, guys. Um, Chris, hey. I, I'm going to throw you under the bus, but you have not mentioned financial sense. <laughs> Well, it just hasn't come up yet, Mo. So I've got a couple of plants in the audience here. I see Mo is, uh, Mo is, is somebody that works with us and is also a Penny Forward member and Kane Brolin is in the, in the Zoom call here. Um, so we, we do offer, uh, a public, uh, Zoom call 
and it's a part of the ACB community call schedule. So if you're subscribed to that, it's, it's every third Thursday of the month. It's called Financial Sense. And, uh, it is a way for you to, to, uh, get some of the information that we're teaching through, um, through public Zoom calls. We are going to be, uh, starting to live stream those calls on Facebook as an experiment. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll look at, other ways to, to make that available. And, and that of course is available through, through the uh, ACB community calls on Zoom. It's also streamed on ACB media and, uh, you can listen to ACB media over the phone too. So, uh, um, that at least right now is, is available in a lot of different ways. Um, and, uh, uh, thanks for reminding me to mention that, Mo. And I did have one thought about, um, Calandra. Our members only calls are held on Zoom. So there would be a number to dial in because I dialed in this last week. So that was the yep. phone number you just like here. recognize. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's certainly. great. That's great. I mean, cause that, yeah, that, that can really build that bridge we were talking about. You know, Zoom is an interesting platform in that sense because you can dial in. Yep. That's the. Uh, thank you so much, uh, for that, Mo. All right. Ray. Ray. Uh, thank um, you, Mo. Next up, we have, uh, Elizabeth and then Rita. All right, Elizabeth. Hi. Uh, hi there. Hi, Peter. It's been hey. a long, it's been years. Hello. It's Elizabeth. Oh, Aloudworth. How are you? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Hi. Um, one of the things that I've noticed being on the Zoom calls since we started ACB Communities is there's lots of people on calls. You'll get calls with 20, 25, 30 people. And then there will be like Jobs World or Entering the Workforce. And you'll get like four people, including the moderator and the facilitator. So I guess my question is, do you notice a sense in the blind community of being unwilling to work or even think about working and what are you doing to address this because it's one thing to talk about uh, developing financial sense and becoming an investor or something but unless you inherit it like a pot of gold from you know a dying relative or something you're going to either have to make it somewhere or steal it and I know you're not supporting stealing so how do you get people to a position where they're either talking about starting their own business or where they want to enter the workforce sometime before 45, because if they start at 45 or 50, there's going to be problems. It's a very fair question. And, uh, full disclosure, Elizabeth and I exchange emails fairly regularly where she, she, uh, makes me think real hard about this. Um, so it, it is, it is a problem that we as penny forward with the size of the group that we have right now are probably not equipped to solve right now, but it, it is a very valid problem. Um, I don't think that I agree that there is a general unwillingness to work or start a business. Oh, no, the, no, 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 no. Hang, hang on. I didn't say there was, I said when there are, um, when there are Zoom calls having to do with employment, such as entering the workforce, right. resume development, or um, experiences, you'll end up with like four people on the call, including the facilitator and the moderator, and the two people will talk about how they're afraid they're going to be discriminated against in the workforce. 
or will other people in the workforce that they work with talk to them or they don't want to work because it would mean they would have to give up um, having lunch at the mall with their friends or something. And you listen to this as a person who's worked for years and I, I don't know what, what I'm even up against because people won't even show up to these calls. So I, I, I yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it, um, as we were talking about before the show even started, it is very difficult to get people to attend calls, especially if the calls are educational or kind of work related in nature. It's not because I don't think I'm guessing a little bit here, but I don't think it's because people don't want to. I think it's because people are easily distracted by the the things that are more fun in their life. If you think about your own behavior, um, are you likely to go to a class that is is going to be informative and help you? Or yeah, I, are no, you? No, yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. On the other yeah. hand, I want to be able to pay for my chocolate ice cream and my trips yeah. to the fair and my vacations and things. And so I have a concern. You have one minute. Okay. I do. Right. Or I, are we all we have one last person we I want to get to if we can try. Oh, sorry. Elizabeth, you're next. Thanks, thank you, Liz. Really quickly. Uh, sorry. 30 seconds, Ray. Hi. There, there you are. This is Rita. Yeah. 30 seconds. Rita, go ahead. We lost her. Oh. Rita, where are you? Yes, yes, I'm here. Please talk. You, okay. Um, I uh, I work with a group of individuals. We volunteer and we teach voiceover on Apple devices, several blind individuals. We developed a course last year on using Apple devices and services and as a subsection of that, I developed a course on financial wellness and a quiz. And I'd be happy to share it with you, just, you know, let it out in the world. Um, so what's your contact information? Email address is chris at pennyforward.com. It's C-H-R-I-S at P-E-N-N-Y-F-O-R-W-A-R-D dot com. And pennyforward.com is the website and there's a email that address there and an 800 number you can call if you want to talk to me on the phone too. Great. Thank I'd you l- so I'd much. Love to make what, what, connection. What, what a great way to end the program. Thank you, Rita. Chris, for joining us and in perspective. Uh, we, we hope uh, that you all enjoyed this show as much as I did. Chris, I think we need to bring you back to continue this conversation. For listeners, we hope that you join us next week when we're going to be having a panel talking about current events. Uh, so please join us for that, and please tell your friends. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week, and go with God's blessings. <laughs>